This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Welcome back to the Heroes of HP12, the Wick and Wanderers podcast powered by the fans. I'm Michael Kenny, joined as usual by Adam Cooper, Dan Clark, and Damien Farrar Hockley. We're back and ready to go for what should be another exciting season for Wick and Wanderers Football Club. On this week's episode, we chat with Chairman Rob Kuhig, assess the summer's squad rebuild, learn more about the exciting new fan initiative, the 1887, and preview this weekend's curtain raiser against Exeter City. We kick off with an exclusive Q&A with Chairman Rob Kuhig, who kindly joined us this past Monday to give his thoughts on a busy pre-season, succession planning and his expectations ahead of the new campaign. Here we go again, Rob. New season, new Wickham. Uh, from your perspective, what have you made of Matt and the team's preparations ahead of the new campaign? And how has it differed from the previous regime in previous seasons? I have to tell you, and I told this to Pete and Missy last night, I have rarely been as impressed with a new manager in any of our businesses as I have been by Matt. Uh, It makes me feel good about the decision we made. Uh, He is not just energetic, he is disciplined, he has an approach. He and I talk probably four times a week. and as I, I always say with Gareth, we are, we're not friends. We are business-friendly acquaintances. Uh, and what I have liked about Matt is the discipline, the approach. He, he came to me and he wanted to hire uh, Scott Mitchell because he thought we needed a director of recruiting. Different from Andrew Howard's role or Pete's role, his role is to help him go get people. Uh, he, he came to me uh, in mid-July, June, and said, here's my list of targets and here's why. Uh, and I gave him an A-plus on success. It's one thing to talk about what you're going to do. It's quite another to succeed. Uh, and I have seen him and what he has had to do to go get some of these kids, the loans in particular. Uh, it's one thing if you're going after a free or after a tr- uh, transfer, it's a question of dollars and cents. 
by and large. But with a loan, you have to impress not just the kid, his agent, his parents, his club, and explain to him how it's going to work. And he has done an absolutely spectacular job at it. Um, as I say, I, I told him this the other day. He, he, as far as I'm concerned, it's an A+. Now, there is one part still to go on the exam. Do they really play as well as we all think they will, particularly together? You asked the question, he is, I would say he is much more organized and disciplined than we're used to. But in fairness to Gaz, Matt needs to be. Gaz had it in the back of his pocket for so long, he knew where to go. And in his defense, he was not a big, uh, big loan guy anyway. Rob, we've seen some um, some interviews, uh, I think it was with the BBC, regarding your succession planning. Um, a lot of us have been in business and understand the need for a good exit plan. Somebody I, I once worked with said a business isn't a business without a good exit plan. Um, but for those who perhaps don't have a business background, who might have um, read the interview with perhaps some concern or some trepidation, can you just in layman's terms just explain... Um, First of all, the need for a for a good um, succession plan or exit plan, and secondly, what that looks like in your mind. Sure, and and let me go back. I've always said, you know, my job basically is to help plan for the future. I can't do much about whether we score this weekend or not. So when Gaz left, everybody said, "Oh, I wonder what we're going to do." Well, I knew what we were going to do the moment he and I sat in that hotel room, and he told me he was leaving. And I began to the process because I knew Matt was my number one choice. I need to make sure that if, and, and you know, I, I had a little, not health scare, that's overly dramatic, but I'm 74 years old. I've got to be rational about it. In my law firm, my son runs the firm. We have a plan if something happens to him and he's only 45. Yeah. So in my case, statistically, it's more likely something would happen to me or frankly, that one day I get tired of flying 4,500 miles every two weeks or three weeks. So what I wanted to do and what I have done is I've set out some criteria. The overriding criteria, will that person be a better owner than I am? And that by that, I mean probably deeper pockets will be of an age in which they can be a little bit, because right now we kind of double dip with Pete and I and Missy. And we need to make sure that entire gap is done. And third, that it not be a surprise, that it be somebody that the fans are comfortable with, that the players are comfortable with and the like. You don't do that in a weekend. You do that as we have done. We started it out four or five months. Well, the whole thing behind the trust, getting them down to 10% so that we had a little bit of room to play with, as it were, to bring in somebody and begin that. Uh, so I would tell the fans there should be no look. I'd like to say, oh, my God, the club will go down in the ditch if Rob's not around. But we're all have to recognize our, our extreme short tenure in 135 year history of a club. And so everything I do has to be let me make sure the next guy or girl coming along can do the job better than I'm doing. And that's that's the only criteria I've set up. I think my my question touches on 
on just elaborate elaborating on that further i mean obviously when you came into the club you saw such a rigorous process in obviously bringing you in i mean that's probably unseen from a football club perspective um but i think that's obviously Wickham's history as a whole we've we've had our fingers burnt before with owners so obviously as part of your succession plan I think it'd be great from a bit of reassurance from from our perspective as what type of character or values are you looking for in a future owner I mean obviously you've touched on that briefly in terms of you know deeper pockets and things like that but I think actually you know that the person themselves you know we have these personality checks with the players are you taking that similar approach with with the future yeah well you know, first of all, I got to get along with them and I can be a prickly pear myself sometimes. And so, uh, but, but it's got to be with the right philosophy, the right idea, why you're really getting into it and the like. I'm not, I will say this. I think sometimes folks in Wickham are overly concerned about how they quote gotten burned in the past. In 135 years, all businesses have ups and downs. And so, the good news, take me out of the equation. The EFL has changed its rules. We were probably the first ones to come in under the new financial rules that, as I described it, they do a financial proctoscope on you. Uh, and, and, the, and the investigation has gotten deeper and more thorough. Uh, I think the other thing I'm looking for is somebody who gets along with people who isn't looking at it to be a, quote, chairman who sits there and just sort of look at me, I'm the chairman, but gets his hands dirty or her hands dirty with the hard work. And third, whether it's Matt or whoever is the manager, somebody who understands they're not here to be Mr. Football. They're here to support the football club. Uh, and, and support can take many ways. It can be giving them enough money. And in some ways, frankly, it can be saying no to some money. The way clubs get in trouble is that they have this idea and we're, we're susceptible to it. I don't want to pay 20 pounds for a ticket. I don't want to pay six bucks for a hot dog. I don't want to pay for a beer. I would like the kit to be free or at least no higher than the prices were in 1970. And by the way, I would like us to go get a championship striker. And the, man, and the owner should put up the money. That's the prescription for disaster because... That guy may do it for a year, two years, or six years. But you don't have to look 25 miles away from us to see a club that followed that philosophy and is in real trouble today because the owners either have run out of money or more likely gotten tired of just kissing their money goodbye and not getting the results. So to me, I'm looking for somebody who can understand that financial sustainability is not just words. It's how do you build a club so that hopefully the owners aren't throwing their money in every year. As far as your expectations are concerned, how has um, running an English football club compared with how you expected it to go? Has it been more difficult? Have there been challenges that you weren't aware of? Um, uh, you know, it's been very up and down. Obviously, you started during a global pandemic, so um, there were obviously yeah. challenges there, but... Well, look, I, I look at it and I, look, these people have gotten to know me. I have a little bit of an ego and I say, hey, the best five years in English football or, or four years of, of Wickham football have been under our uh, uh, whatever you want to call it, authority or control or influence. Uh, 
the biggest disappointment I've had is dealing with people's negativity. I don't understand starting off the season by saying, oh, my God, it's going to be a disaster, or we'll be lucky if we finish in the top half. I mean, the joy of sports for me is competing. Do I recognize that, that we will not spend the most money again this year? Yeah. Do I recognize that in soccer, unlike almost any sport, any other sport, there's a direct correlation almost between how much you spend and the results on the pitch? Yeah. But we have always succeeded in doing better than others with the same amount of money. We do it because we're pretty energetic and we're thorough. And so I enjoy that. So has it been different than I expected? Yeah. I, 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 I am still frustrated because I can't quite get how to get the non-fan into being a fan. We can get our 5,000 people out, no problem. But I need to get to 7,500. And even at 7,500, Darby's going to have, you know, 20,000. That means on every weekend, they're producing, what, 350 to 400,000 pounds more that they can spend on players. Uh, so it's, it's difficult. It's, however, let me tell you what makes me excited about Wickham football. I think we're one of the first clubs to recognize you can't be captured just by who comes through the turnstile. Our Wanderers TV has been an unmitigated success. If the EFL would recognize how much value there is in streaming, I think every club in the EFL could have substantially more revenues. You know, and I know it's controversial, but I believe that we should be allowed to broadcast our own home games on a Saturday. And for those who think, well, that defeats the purpose, they have not studied what it's done everywhere. Remember, I come from baseball. We had the same arguments. And once we went to sort of ubiquitous baseball coverage, attendances for everything went up, major league, minor league, because it's a two and a half hour advertisement for the game and for being there. And there is no comparison between sitting at home. I got the big TV at home. But wouldn't I rather be at Adams Park and having the fun and the joy and listening to people from the terrace yell and scream than sitting in my house where it's just missing me and the dog and the dog occasionally grows disinterested? Yeah, I have to say I tend to agree with you on the um, on the blackout thing. I think that's uh, certainly a case of watch this space from the EFL. Hopefully somebody sees sense pretty soon. I think they will. I think big things are coming, incidentally. Uh, one of the things I'm excited about is the new media package. I don't think it's as, as extensive as it should have been. I think that they should have done more for the streaming. But look, it's going to mean for clubs like Wickham another 400, 500,000 pounds. Uh, I think the new deal with the EFL and Premier League, which will be announced any day now, although I've been saying that for nine months, so don't believe me on that, uh, is going to be huge for us. And I think the cost controls will be huge. Um, and once we get there, then for the first time ever, you'll be able to analyze football clubs the way you do most businesses. How much is it bringing in? How much does it cost? And, and what's its real value because of that, not because of some historical lineage? So my question is now, obviously, we've had fantastic uh, you know, transfer window so far. And obviously, that's great from the first team's perspective. Um, I'm looking more towards the B team as well. So 
what are your ongoing plans for the B team? I mean, from, from my point of view, I feel the next logical stage would probably be to join like a formal B league team or something, uh, league, uh, to provide those players with, you know, regular competitive games, you know, give Sam Grace a pressurized game environment to kind of evaluate those players. I think, you know, if you look at the Hanwell friendly, I know they were all trialists, but obviously that was quite a, quite a significant loss. I think, you know, is, are there further plans for the B team or, How's that yeah, look? I, I don't know that you and I will agree about the B team. In my view, when we first came in, and people forget this, it was Pete and I who insisted on a B team. We said that we will spend money on six to eight kids a year who may get a little first team experience, but more importantly, they will practice with the first team. They will be dealt with by the coaches as first team players. And yeah, we'll get them some playing experiences in the pet Papa John's or whatever. But by and large, they are there to supplement our practices and to grow. The reason we did it is we didn't think that academy football makes sense economically. We take these six or eight kids every year. One or two are going to progress. Let's look at where we are now. Uh, And so short answer, no more than six or eight. And we've already got four signed, I think, for this year and another one or two that are likely to be signed in the next month. Um, You had Annis. He's produced. Uh, Chris Farino is is frankly becoming so valuable that he's a constant conversation piece almost on a daily basis. Uh, You look at Jasper Patterson. I think he's going to be up there, and one or two of the other kids will be up there, and they'll be getting more and more experience, not – First, necessarily uh, in the uh, league matches, although there'll be some of that, but in the peripheral matches. And we do line up friendlies for these kids. And we use it and we get these six or eight kids plus a couple of trials. And then we'll take one or two people from the first team who have been out injured or who we need work and we use them that way. But, But our whole point, is to use it as a true developmental squad to find one, two, or three people a year. It is, Pete will tell you, it is a big part of our financial model. We expect to bring in more money now every year from the developmental squad than it costs us. And when we first did it, everybody said, everybody, meaning me, Missy, and Pete, when we argued with each other, said, wait, we're going to spend 300,000 pounds on this. When do we get our return?" And we agreed we could wait three years. And it's worked. Rob, this this time last year, you made it clear that your expectation was to push for automatic promotion. Given how the last campaign turned out and the major changes in personnel that occurred mid-season towards the end of last season, tell us, what are your expectations this time around? I expect us to push for Why are we playing this game, people? I mean... <laughs> Look, we have issues. We know there are 20. Look, I know this. I look at our club. We've done a phenomenal job in the offseason getting ready, right? Everybody can agree. We also know 23 other clubs have been trying their level best to do as well. I can also tell you this, that I go through it. There are clubs that have already had point deductions. In my estimation, there's at least two more clubs coming with point deductions or at least some further limitation on their ability to build a squad clubs that we would ordinarily consider to be top echelon clubs 
these one and two other clubs that have problems in their management structure. Uh, so I think if we do our deal, we should we should be competing to be among the top clubs in the league. And if we're not, then it means I've probably done something wrong. You know, people, I acknowledge that we weren't as deep as we could have been when we started the season. What I should have done to save myself a lot of hassle from some people is remind everybody that we had seven guys out injured to start the season. This year, we, unless something dramatic happens, we'll be missing one or two. Uh, but we will have everybody available. So to be, and we'll have a goalie um, who's, who is one of the top two or three goalies in the league, ready to go. I think he's the top goalie in the league. To call this year's preseason a busy one would uh, be a bit of an understatement. This summer has seen wholesale changes made to the squad and backroom staff, with Matt Bloomfield reshaping Wickham in his image. We have fancy new kits, plans to adorn Adams Park with flags, and we even have new catering. Fingers crossed for some decent chips. Uh, Guys, welcome back. Hope you had a great summer. Here we go. Uh, Transfer business. Nine new signings. I'm going to list them really quickly. We have, over the last couple of months, seen the inclusion of Richard Keogh, the experienced former Ireland international who was last with promotion-winning Ipswich. Kean Brecken, an exciting young midfield prospect signing on loan for the season from Man City. Luke Leahy, the left-sided midfielder slash wing-back who signed from Shrewsbury Town, where he was last season's Player of the Year. Harry Boys, the left wing-back signed on loan from Sheffield United. Kane Vincent Young, a versatile wing-back last with Ipswich. Joe Lowe, a big, tall central defender signed from Bristol City. Uh, Laurie Schala, a backup goalkeeper. And Kosovo Young International, who was last with Crystal Palace. Dale Taylor, the striker who scored against us last season while on loan at Burton Albion, signed on loan from Notts Forest, Nottingham Forest, I should say. And finally, Freddie Potts, midfielder on loan from West Ham, and he was also part of their Europa Conference winning side. Uh, We've also brought in some new backroom staff, obviously the guy that made this all possible, our head of recruitment, Scott Mitchell, and uh, lead performance coach, Michael a mower. Lots of incomings, lots of changes. Guys, what are our thoughts on uh, how our squad has changed over the summer? Yeah, there's been some good business, hasn't there? I mean, there was a lot of negativity when uh, when Keo came in. And I think had the other eight come in first and he'd have been the last one, I think there'd have been a lot of positivity about it. I think a lot of people just thought it was perhaps a little bit of an anticlimax. But um, excited to see them all in action, particularly Freddie Potts and, and Dale Taylor. But I think they're all signings who are going to uh, who are going to improve the squad. Uh, I think there's probably five or six of them who who are going to play a big bulk of the season. So some some good business done. You know, as we all know, when you do this business, they've got to gel together, they've got to learn to play together in game situations, um, and they haven't necessarily done that yet. And we haven't had a huge amount of preseason minutes, so I think we're going to be uh, cautiously optimistic. I've I've quite enjoyed my typical Wickham summer where we've had a an absolute pit of despair in the first couple of months when we didn't sign anyone and everyone was crying and going, oh, we're never going to sign anyone. We're so behind. Portsmouth have already signed 11 players and completely relocated the entire UK EFL base to, to Portsmouth. And uh, Scott Mitchell comes in. He does does the business, doesn't he? I mean, to bring in... I, I, I don't think we've had a window in a long time that I feel that pretty much all of them have a part to play this season. 
uh, the level of depth that we've grown. I mean, to start off with, obviously, we had Richard Keogh, which, to be honest with you, a lot of people kind of maybe turn their nose up a little bit. But I think being on the back of a, a championship winning side, oh no, it weren't championship winners, were they in the end? Uh, promotion winning side, sorry, uh, with Ipswich and being in the changing room with that mentality. It seemed to progress like the Vince McMahon more, um, meme where, you know, you kind of had a, a bit of impressed <laughs> at the start. And then by the time Dale Taylor and Freddie Potts came along, everyone was absolutely all over the all over the shop. So do you know what? I'm I'm really pleased. It's the first time in a long time we've had that much depth. Um, but as Adam says, the whole point and the, the only re- way we're going to be successful here is them, they all gel and they all gel in Matt's new style, which is a, a big change for us. Like uh, Dan just said, I was despairing at the people who were saying, sign someone, we're going to get relegated, all this sort of stuff. And now it's gone mad. I'm actually more excited by by someone, not the more attacking players. We've actually got someone who can challenge JJ down the left. He is in his testimonial year. He is a club legend. But sometimes he gets roasted. If we've got a guy who was playing for Richards last season who can actually do that left wing back role. I just think it, it, that's, that's as, as exciting as the strikers, uh, the attacking players we've signed for me. In terms of the players that have come in, I mean, I, I just listed them out and that list seemed to go on forever, which is obviously a sign of how far we've come since the end of June when we hadn't signed anyone and all of Twitter was like, oh my God, what's happening? Uh, we've we've changed that now. Um, but of, of the players that we have signed, I know that there was a lot of noise and a lot of excitement about uh, Leahy coming in, obviously rightfully so, having you know had the season that he had last season with Shrewsbury. But which of the signings would you say excite you the most? I mean, for me, it's probably if we can keep him fit. Um, for me, probably Kane Vincent Young uh, for the for the reasons that you said, Demo. You know, we need cover uh, for JJ. I still think he's very very useful. Um, and if you were to play, you know, a back five, I mean, it just makes sense to put JJ in in that you know in that free at the back. Um, so Kane Vincent Young is probably the one that excites me the most. I'm also really excited about Joe Lowe, who, I mean, if you have him in a, in a partnership with, with Tafazoli, we're going to be a nightmare from corners, but guy, who's the most, what's the most exciting signing for you guys? There's two for me, having uh, seen a game on Saturday. First of all, Vincent Young was absolutely outstanding playing in a, in a right wing back position. Um, he looked like he played for Wickham all his life. A lovely first touch. Likes to try and beat a player, but good defensively as well, which you don't see with wingbacks all the time, particularly at this level. The other one was Freddie Potts, um, who I thought used the ball really, really well. It's a really easy comparison to make with the whole West Ham thing, but he is almost like a mini Declan Rice. He's that kind of player. He's got the ability to break up play and do all the dirty stuff that Scowan and Alikes can do. But he's also got the ability to be able to get his head up travel with the ball or or pull out a 20, 25-yard pass. So they're the two for me that look really exciting. I thought Harry Boys did really well down the left as well. Um, he's a tidy little player. And like you rightly say, you know, to have a young player who's who's already met up with the Wales senior squad, um, he must be very, very highly thought of. Um, everybody keeps saying that he's... Uh, He's a giant. He's only six foot five, so let's not get too uh, too excited. I'm six foot seven, so uh, <laughs> I was going to say, compared to you, still shorter than me. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but I'm still um, taller than him. Yeah, but those three are uh, are for me the ones who I think are going to make a massive, massive difference. And let's just hope that they can all stay fit. Unless, uh, let's hope that they can take some of that form from pre-season into the new season with them. 
my my best signing actually for is is Scott Mitchell. To be honest, I know that sounds a bit out there, but to be honest with you, um, there were, I wouldn't say concerns, but I was watching very closely what Matt Bloomfield's pulling power would be in the transfer window and would whether it would be anything like Gaz's. Um, and I think they've absolutely pulled it off. Uh, the the range of talent, and I mean, the thing is as well, if you if you touch on. Uh, the loan players that we've signed that we don't necessarily use the loan market as much as we did before. Um, the fact that they've had to jump through hoops to get some of these players to come and play here. They've, you know, they've had to um, speak to parents. They've had to speak to teams and say, right, okay, you know, this is how this is the style of play we're going to uh, to play this season. If it's impressed teams like West Ham who have just come off the back of a European trophy and Man City who have come off the back of a treble. Um, then we must be surely doing something right. But they've got to gel. Uh, touching, obviously, away from Scott Mitchell, I think Freddie Potts, absolutely. Uh, the fact that you've got West Ham fans saying that he was their replacement for Rice this season is, uh, and the fact he's come to us is, I think, a bit of a coup. So I think, you know, that's that's massive. But to be honest with you, we've got nine players there who will all contribute something significant. I mean, you know, we, we're touching on quite a few different players there, but Leakey's going to be massive for us the fact that we've nicked a season that someone's season's player of the year that's that's not that's not very wickham you know it's no. uh and club captain as well wasn't he at shrewsbury exactly so there he was i think you can't not be excited by likes of Potts and leahy and Breckin probably because last season we lacked something when josh gowan got injured i think this season we've actually got cover for him and that was a big it's a big thing for me because we were looking at the team sheet and if Scarlett wasn't there, everyone just, you know, we're not going to do do well in this game. And I generally this season don't think that's going to be the case. It feels different, doesn't it, from a defensive perspective? Because even Saturday, obviously Josh didn't even start, but I think it was the first time in a long time where I looked at it and I thought, I'm not as worried actually, because I think defensively we've got something and by all accounts creatively as well, we've got something to replace wing. And exactly then even that. when Vokesy's been out, we're not relying on Wheeler going up top. We've got Dale Taylor now. So the depth is just yeah. completely different to last year. Two decent players in every position almost. This is an outrageous thing to say. But having seen us on Saturday, I genuinely believe that a time will come where Scowan's struggling to get into that centre midfield. I think Potts is so good at what he does. I think that that we will be able to give Josh a rest. And if you just said that we'd be talking about Josh being able to have a rest and not having to play 46 games without getting a yellow card three months ago, you'd be reeling us off in a white coat. So I'm I'm really excited by, by the fact that there's actually genuine competition now. And if he does have a couple of off weeks, we can rest him, which is massive. What would you guys say about our current depth? I mean, we've signed nine players. There are people that are going, we want 10, we want 10. We And there are some people that are saying, I think we could probably do with a with a, a couple more, even a few more players. Um, what, what are your thoughts on our current depth? Do you think that we need to make a few more signings? And if so, what areas would you like to see us further strengthening? Something that I thought was really telling um, at the season ticket holders open day uh, at the beginning of July, when Matt got up and speak, he said that um, he'd been going into all, all sorts of details about our past seasons. And one of the things that he's been doing is looking at the depths of squad from previous seasons under Ainsworth and working out what that key number is. I think that there is a real fine line between loading your squad with first team players 
and having four, five, six players walking around who are cheesed off every week because they're not playing and having a really good group of 15, 16 pros backed Mm. up by some talented young players. And I think that's where we are. We might get another one in, possibly another defender, um, another centre-back. But when you look, we've got JJ, we've got Grimmer, who can both play there. Um, we've also got Keo, Farino, Tafazoli. We know that Tafazoli is going to struggle to stay fit. So we might go with another defender, but um, or maybe another left-sided wing-back type player. But I think, you know, Harry Boys can play there. Vincent Young can play there. If he had to, Leahy can play there. Um so I genuinely think we're there with the depth. I think what he's been really clever in doing is bringing players who can play in two or three positions, which was something that I know was was a real thing with Matt. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think we're there. Um, I certainly won't be refreshing Twitter at a rate of knots on uh, transfer deadline day. I'm quite chilled out about where we are now. I think there's one area that we uh, we haven't really strengthened yet, and that's the right side. We've got Gareth McCleary there. If you look at all these play these uh, players we've brought in, they're not right-sided players, mainly, mainly centre and left. So that's the only way, only area I'm I'm, I'm not um, downhearted about it because we've got likes of McCleary, but and Grimmer. But I just think another right-sided midfielder might be something we should look at. I think you might see TJ out there a bit. And, uh, and, ha- and Hanlon as well. Yeah, I think he's going to play almost like that front three. I think he'll play a wider left striker, a wider right striker, and then somebody leading the line. And I think TJ, Hanlon, Leahy, all of those players will be those players circling the, the main man. Yeah, I think that I think he's sussed that in his head. And I know that he's a lover of Hanlon. So you think that we could see a, a return to maybe like a, a four-three-three kind of formation or variations thereof? I think we'll go three-four-three, and I just think that the the two playing either side of whoever the central striker will be will be slightly wider than normal, but still allowing for the fullbacks to overlap. I am excited by uh, the fact that last season you said far too many times if we had a striker playing, we'd have won that game. The fact that we've now got Vokes and Dale Taylor, genuine strikers. Both of them play great, but if one of them's injured, we've got someone to step in. Um, Hannon just couldn't do that central striker job, but Dale Taylor is exactly that sort of player. You're exactly right, Damo. You know, Hanlon isn't that type of player. He's uh, he's very much a run with the ball, but not as yeah. much end product, which is fine. You know, but we need to play in a position where he can do that. It's just not. It's not up top, is it? So no, it's not. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, do you know what I think there was one thing um during the I think it was the end of June they had an interview with Richard Thomas and one of the interesting things that came out of that was he was talking about the shifts in formation so you know obviously we're going through formations here but I think we bought very versatile players and we've got very versatile players within our team already so you know at a moment's notice we're not just playing this for one game and then that's it there seems to be they're looking at transitions of information depending on how the game's going. And I think that's the difference this season that I think we'll see because, you know, we've got some very good wing backs who if you know, if we change to five at the back, uh, we've got wing backs who can be quite dynamic going backwards and forwards. You know, we've got Hanlon who could play as a number ten or he can play on the right, or TJ who could also play as a number ten or on the wings and We've we've got that versatility. That's what this depth brings. And you know, going back to, do we need any more? I think 
uh, the whole of uh, social media is calling out for Richard Coney, and I think we'll be all right. He scored a hat trick for Athletic Newham the other week, by the way. So, you know, he's, he's scoring <laughs> goals for fun. I just think that the players we brought in give us the option to be unpredictable. Based last season's squad, being so thin as it was, we could only play a certain way, certain formations and things like that. This season, he's got such depth in the squad that he can actually change the formation week to week. He can play in training, he can change it for whichever team we're playing, just to try and not let them just know what we're going to do from the start. Obviously, there's the one big central defensive elephant in the room still, and that is the future of Chris Farino. And obviously, the rumour mill is still going into overdrive as to if he'll leave and join QPR. Now, we're really happy with how the squad looks at the moment. You know, the players that left us at the end of the last season, the players that left us pre-season, you know, obviously sad to see a beta go, but wish him all the best up north. If Farino goes... Do you think that that means that we would need to dip back in, or are you happy with what we've got with with Keo and and Jolo and and you know Taffer and the rest of our defensive options? Taffer's made a paper, so that's one thing we've got to be wary of. Um, so if we did lose Farino, probably yeah, it would be someone else in. I mean, obviously, people are looking into all the different attitudes and things like that i mean farino's followed qpr on instagram over the last couple of days so people are reading into that unbelievably but to be honest with you looking at the and i touched on this on social media the other day farino's got to weigh up whether he wants to be having a season with relegation contenders in the championship which yes it's a bigger level but whether you want a relevant relegation so early in your cv being probably one of their main defenders um, or whether he wants a season where we could potentially be very successful in in the League One and have been challenging for the last two seasons and then get a bigger move next year. Um, mm. I, I really, you know, I, as much as I love Gaz, I do worry for QPR this this season. I, I just think, you know, they're not, they just don't seem to be doing anything. Their fans seem to be going absolutely mental and he's got a tough, tough job on his hands, but I can't, I just can't see him going. I do think that you raise a, a good point with the, you know, what do you want on your CV? I mean, I've been saying that I think Farino, he's looked really impressive. He's come through the ranks and, you know, he's, he's he would be one of the first names on the team sheet for, for me. Uh, or is he, though, with, with who we've signed in preseason? Is he guaranteed mm. to get time in this Wickham side? Uh, personally, I'd, I'd, I'd like it if he could stay for another season, but I can't really begrudge him and his ambition no. of wanting to play for a championship side. And I do think that if any manager in the championship has it in them to surprise football, well, it's Gaz, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. But I just, I just, I, I think QPR would be the wrong move for him at this time. I mean, I wouldn't begrudge him the move. And to be honest with you, with a year left on his contract, if we're going to get any money for him, it, it's got to be now. Because um, it's either sort of do it, sign a new contract, or go in January, really. Mm. So, you know, I wouldn't begrudge him the move, and I think we've got adequate replacement. But I just, I don't know. I'd if if I were Chris, I'd be making the sensible move and staying. Yeah, hundred percent. I agree, Dan. Um, I mean, me and Damo were told by somebody that we know, who is normally a very, very, very good source of EFL information, weeks ago that Farina was all but gone. Um, and nothing seems to have happened. So there's obviously problems at QPR. Financial problems have been well documented. Um, and they've got issues around FFP. You look at the players that they're bringing in. I mean, they brought in Jack Cole back yesterday. They brought in Begovic. They don't seem to be going towards that kind of young, up-and-coming player. They seem to be bringing in stalwarts, journeymen, who who need a club and perhaps aren't going to 
aren't going to max out the wage budget. Um, I think as far as we'll be wanting to go, you don't want any of the squad to leave so close to the beginning of the season. But when you consider that, you know, we brought him in, he cost us nothing. If we sold him for the figures that are being touted, 350, 400,000, there will undoubtedly be a sell-on clause on there. That's got to be bloody good business. And we have to be realistic with ourselves. You know, we spent three or four years towards the top of League One, but we are still a very, very small squad. Um, and that kind of money is, isn't is to be sniffed at. So it wouldn't be a disaster if he went. But yeah, I'm with Dan. I think we would need to replace him with Tafazoli's um, injury issues. Um, you know, you don't know. I've, you'd like to think that somebody like Joe Lowe would come in and hit the ground running, but he's only a young kid himself. Um, there's no guarantee that he's going to perform. So yeah, I think if we lost anybody, we I would like to see them replaced. But but other than that, I think we're I think we're done. Uh, Gaz is drunk from the poison chalice that he's QPR. Not sure that uh, Chris Farino wants to. But if he did go, I wouldn't be averse to going for the player that they've just um, cancelled the signing of. Who's that? Knight. Was that cancelled or did that just fall through? Well, if, if something's fallen through, something's gone wrong with it. But I believe, I genuinely believe, if we were to lose Farino, he's the sort of player we need to go for. He'd said goodbye to all of his teammates at Peterborough, hadn't he? He literally said yeah, goodbye, did, yeah. cleared, cleared all his stuff together, different. chucked all his stuff in the car, and yeah, it fell through. I don't know what happened there. Mm. Um, and again... Oh, the same as QPR. Yeah. Yeah, again, you know, would you want to move to a club that are, that are clearly struggling financially um, and clearly having that sort of issue when you're a young kid with a, with a reputation to, uh, to behold? So, you know, I don't know. Perfect scenario is he signs another contract, if he wants to go, he goes at the end of the season. We can get half a million for him with a decent sell-on and we've got all pre-season to, to replace him. But um, let's just hold tight and see what happens, I think. We'll get into our season-wide predictions later on. But but for now, on the subject of the, the, the guys that we've brought in and the way the squad looks now, we knew that Bloomfield was going to be making some wholesale changes. We knew going into the summer that it was going to be a, a massive you know, period of time for the club. And, and ultimately, we were going to come out the other side looking very different to how we did going in. But in terms of expectations going into the new season now, based on what we've seen, based on the players that have come in, based on the backroom staff, has that altered your expectations of what we should expect to achieve this season? I think we've brought in a lot of winners, if you know what I mean. Uh, we've got guys who guys in the European team, like you said earlier. He was on the bench in the European final. A guy who's been pl- training and playing with several winners. Uh, we've got guys who were basically uh, Dale Taylor was scoring goals for Burton. We've got guys who know how to win now, and basically, I think that just we've got to be positive with these players we brought in. And to be fair, like Dan said, the head of recruitment, I didn't know what he was doing there for the first two, two or three weeks, but he's now he's just been godsend. Yeah, I think from uh, from my point of view, there's one word I think that sums us up, um, and that's leaders. A um, couple of seasons ago, we lost Bayo, we lost Stocko. Um, yeah, we've obviously lost Gape, we've lost Tomo, uh, a lot of those sort of seasoned generals, as Gaz like to call them. And uh, we didn't really replace them last year. And we just, it seemed like last year when we were, when we were losing a goal, 
we had a bit of a soft underbelly, which you could never previously have accused a Wickham side of. And that, I think that was just due to the lack of leaders on the pitch. And when you look at it now, you know, you've got Leahy, um, you've got Jacobson, you've got Keogh. Um, and I think, although inexperienced, I think the likes of, of Potts will will lead in a different way to a traditional shouter and screamer. And that's because he's so good that everybody's going to want to use him. Everybody's going to trust him on the ball. And um, because we brought in a an eclectic mix of players, you know, we haven't brought in loads of youngsters, so the old ones are going to be cliquey. We haven't brought in loads of old ones, so the young ones are going to be cliquey. They're going to fit together as a nice squad, I think. I'm, I'm more confident now than I was at the beginning of last season. Um, I... I've always said about this division, if you finish in the top half, normally it means that you're in with a shout of the playoffs. And if we're in that top 10 or 12 um, with 10 games to go, we'll be in with a shout of the playoffs. And that's kind of where we need to be, just on the periphery, um, challenging for a playoff position. I don't think the signings that we've brought in have changed anything. Um, but we got more leaders on the pitch and we got more strength in depth, which can only be a positive thing. I uh, completely agree with Adam there. It's the difference is the leaders. And to be honest with you, that might be where someone like Richard Keogh might be one of the most important signings of this window because he is a leader. He's been in a promotion winning side. And whereas he didn't play much last season, his influence behind the scenes from what you've said, you know, that could have been the reason that came Vincent Young's come across because you've got someone like that that he knows that he can get a lot from. The fact that Joe Lowe and others have already been learning from Keogh, considering his background and experience, you know, we've got a lovely mix of experience and young talent and pace that perhaps we lacked last season. I don't remember a season where I have been as excited as I am for the potential. Obviously, there's a long way to go, but the potential is is definitely there this season. This summer has also been massive for the fans who have stepped up in their efforts to get Adams Park rocking again. At the heart of this is the 1887, an exciting new supporters group whose activities have already made a positive impact. Dan, you are a part of this group along with Kyle and Chris. Um, Tell us, how did this project, how did the 1887 get started? We've all been banging on about it for a while, haven't we? The atmosphere has been lacking in the recent, most recent seasons. And to be honest with you, I think we've touched on this in this podcast before. The fans need to get organised and the fans need to do something. Um, you know, when we've, we spoke about it with Phil Catchpole the other day, actually, and he said, you know, if the club did it, it'd be like the vicar leading the disco. Um, <laughs> if So that's something that they, they obviously can't do. So it's got to be done by the fans. And I think, you know... Um, we, we all know Chris and, and, and Carl as well that, you know, absolutely driven. Um, we're, we're all very driven to, to make this a success. Um, but it doesn't, it's not just uh, let's put a few flags up, let's put a few banners up and there we go. We've, you know, we've got to get everyone behind it, get everyone excited and, you know, start drumming up an atmosphere. It's only going to work. It doesn't, you know, it's not down to the three of us. It's down to everyone getting together and start making some noise. But the response so far has been absolutely overwhelming, really. Yeah, it has. I mean, you you talk about, I mean, some of the things that we've discussed privately is this idea that there is so much that can be achieved. So, so, so many d- different aspects of the Adams Park experience that 
this group can positively impact, but you can't do it as much as you want to. You can't do it all in one go, right? So for for the for the initial games of the season or for the for the first few months of the season, what are the primary objectives? What is it that you want to do first? We have to unite the fans. That's the key here. And Wickham has always been a fantastic community. I've always said it, you know, I I live a bit of a distance away from Wickham, but I and and I have done for a few years. But I always, when I come into a game, whether it's home or away, I always feel like I'm home because you can hear that Wickham accent come through and, and every, it's, it is that little community. You've seen people that you've seen for, you know, decades on, on the terrace and we need to bring them all together alongside the young fans that are starting to get into it um, and get people off their phones, you know. Um, if we get people excited and it's not just the terrace it's the frank adams it's the you know the the beach scene or the pre-sonus or whatever we want to call it it's getting everyone involved um but it's got to be done properly uh, that's why we've worked with the club and the trust to make sure from a cohesive perspective that it it works and we're trying to bring in as many fans as possible to get involved first of all what you're doing i think is brilliant and it's been needed for a long long time i Damo and myself are from the uh, from the age where the terrace used to be bouncing, regardless of whether it was Halifax at home or West Ham at home. You know, but the the biggest thing for me, and the obvious thing for me, and you touched on it there, is the change in just the way that we live our lives. This introduction of mobile phones, of social media, um, and we've all seen it. You know, at Arsenal, at Man United, at Liverpool somebody scores a goal and half the stadium are cheering and the other half are videoing the celebration on their phones. Um, I know it. it you can't start saying you can't bring your phones in, you can't stop banning people from, from using their phones. But is this something that you've discussed and something that, you're, um, that you've sort of planned in with trying to make the place noisier? Um, and what are you doing to try and get around that? It's a very, very interesting question because, you know, people are glued to their mobile phones nowadays um i think the benefit that we've got between the three of us is and i hope chris and carl don't mind me saying this we're old heads in a way that you know we grew up in that era where yeah you know we were you were on the terrace you didn't have your phone out and you were singing for 90 minutes and you were enjoying it with everyone else yeah um going to football has changed uh we've got to acknowledge that but i think the one thing that we feel probably will work is that level of inclusivity um we acknowledge that we can't be everything to everyone because it's just not going to work if we take that approach but involving people in the designs of the flags involving people in getting forward you know naming songs we don't have a song for every player at this club which is usually the standard wherever you go um so going out and making suggestions the amount of suggest- we've had hundreds of suggestions about different ways, you know, different things that we can try on the terrace. And I think if you can get people of all ages involved in that, because there have been from, you know, like teenagers up to up to people in the 60s and 70s, if we can get people involved with that and go, that's my song, you know, that's that's when there starts to be that bit more inclusivity and hopefully a bit more involvement as well. You know, there's, there's a lot to do, but uh, the, the key is is getting everyone behind this and and pushing for the same thing that we all want we've got we've all got a common goal here we're from an era we grew up on the terrace it used to be bouncing and traditionally the terrace was what got the rest of the ground going and that's what i think has been missed the last time i heard that was the uh, 
when we played MK Dons in the playoff semi-final. And I know that wasn't that long ago, but that was the last time I actually heard the Terrace leading the ground. I just think that if you, if you, this 1887 uh, scheme works, the whole ground's just going to erupt again. And I just... The flags, for me, I think are massive. I think you can get them at the top of the Frank Adams as well. Mm. Doesn't just have to be in one area. This is exactly it. So we've we've been working with the club quite closely with that. So Kyle went down, has gone through everything with their safety officers to see where we can literally litter Adams Park as much as we can. I'm, mm. Obviously, funding is is our restriction there, you know. And thankfully, every, the donations have been absolutely fantastic so far. It tells you how much people want this. So you know, for everyone that's donated so far, thank you very much. Um, but yeah, absolutely. You know, we've seen what can be done with MK away. You're exactly right there, Damo. We've seen what we've done when our Spanish friends La Media and Glatha come over and, you know, make yeah. a noise from from the beach dean. It doesn't matter what part of the ground it's from. It's getting people involved. And that's what we want to do. It's it's getting the Frank Adams, it's getting the family enclosure involved. So when those kids are in there and getting excited about it and joining in with the atmosphere, they're out on the terrace as soon as they can be in there and then joining in with that as well. Has there been any thoughts? Obviously, the acoustics in that um, home end aren't aren't the best, um, and I think there's a lot of people like me who used to be on the terrace have have uh, have had a kid, um, and due to modern health and safety, can't take their kid on a terrace anymore, so it's scattered all over the ground. So, been any discussions with the club about using microphones, some sort of sound system to play the crowd noise? back into the stadium to try and keep the sound within it um because it seems with me you know if there's 100 or 150 people shouting and screaming the noise just doesn't carry whereas if there's five people and a dog in the away end it sounds like there's five thousand. and has anything been discussed about the the actual the ability to make that stand more acoustically friendly We've actually had suggestions where people have suggested like, oh, you know, look like a stand like they do in America and things like that with someone with a megaphone uh, kind of like leading on and, and things like that. You know, I think I think we're open to anything really that's going to make the atmosphere better, but we, we have to make a measured judgment on that. Um, you know, a lot's been considered. I, I, I am frustrated that the away end has the better acoustics. Uh, obviously, we all like to stand beyond the goal, but... Obviously, we don't know how long the terrace is going to take to change, um, but we've we've got to make the most of it at the moment. To be honest with you, as I say, we've seen what can be done in some games. MK away, we always keep going back to it, how good that was. That it, it can be achieved. Um, we we, but you know we've got to look at different ways that we could do that. That playing sound back into the the stadium might be a suggestion, but obviously we're working closely with the club, so that's that's potentially something we can work on. I know it's something that Arsenal did when they moved grounds, isn't it? And, you know, mm. as much as people laugh at it, I think if it gets the atmosphere going and people get used to hearing that noise, I think they're, yeah. they're more inclined to make noise themselves. When quite often sat in the, in the family stand, it's me and my little one shouting and everybody around us is looking at us as if we're aliens. It's, it's, I know. it's, it, it's a really, really difficult one to attack. We've got a trial and error with it. We'll work out what works best. And the, the key is in the numbers now. The key is in the numbers. The more people we can get behind it and try and make as much noise. If we need to do more, then we look at ways that we can do more. But it's it's a ongoing effort, isn't it? Has anyone suggested just changing the roof to a more acoustically sound roof? 
Well, I think obviously with the changes to the terrace planned and things like that, I think uh, they're probably not going to invest in in something like that anyway. Um, I, I, again, I'd love something like the away end and and the difference that the away end makes acoustically. But uh, you know, it, the, the thing is, if we can get the terrace bouncing, we can get the Frank Adams and and the Presonas joining in as well. It won't matter because we'll be making a hell of a lot of noise. We are going to. Stay in touch, obviously, with the 1887. We haven't got a choice because, Dan, you're part of it. But hopefully we can get Chris and Kyle on uh, later on in the season to talk a little bit more about how things are going and how the initiatives are progressing. But before we do move on, um, Dan, I mean, people listening to this are probably well aware already of the 1887. But what are the channels? How can people get involved in the group? We have the Twitter page, which is initially, which is the at the 1887 WWFC. I'm literally just very quickly loading up the uh, Instagram because we've just joined Instagram, uh, which is terrace underscore 1887. Uh, we have plans for websites, et cetera, et cetera, for song lyrics and things like that as we go along as well. So watch this space on that. But at the moment, follow those pages. We also have a Discord uh, link on there where we have uh, an order, probably about 100 people chatting all things Wickham on there and it's absolutely free to join so just join in at the end of the day we're here to build a community um that's that's positively aiming towards one goal so anyone and everyone can be part of it it all leads to this the preparation is over the players are ready and hopefully the pies are ordered too. Our 30th year in the Football League kicks off this Saturday at home against Exeter City. Gary Caldwell's men did well in their first season back in League One, taking four points off us last season as they finished comfortably in mid-table. Guys, this is going to be a bit of a Exeter and season-wide prediction amble. Um, judging from our pre-season friendlies and we we touched on this. We we kind of have an understanding of how our play style is going to evolve with Blooms. We saw it towards the end of last season. But given who we discussed came into the side over the summer, uh, rough kind of predictions on who we think is going to be lining up on Saturday? I think we'll see a 3-4-3 three, three of some sort. Um, obviously, we're going to start with Mats and Goal. I think probably Tafazoli, Keo, uh, maybe Grimmer. Uh, I think Vincent Young will play right, boys left, maybe Scown and Potts in the middle, McCleary, don't know who will start up top. Um, I would like to think that Taylor would be given a go with Vokes not being fit, um, and then probably Leahy off the left or playing as a 10. Um, but yeah, I mean, whatever the lineup is, it's going to be exciting, and what we have to remember is Extra let 11 go and brought eight in. So they're in exactly the same situation as us. So it's all very well sitting here saying, yeah, we've recruited really well. Um, extra brought in some good players as well. You know, they brought in Tom Carroll, ex-Tottenham. Um, played many minutes in the Premier League. So I think you've got to be aware of that. They brought in a couple of young players, one young lad from Chelsea who, um, who looks potentially like a very good loan signing. Um, so as much as you know, we've gone out and done good business, they have as well. So I think it'll be very, very interesting to uh, to pot the two teams next to each other. Um, two teams who like to play football as well now, hopefully. So it should be quite a good game. I actually don't mind who starts, to be honest. I think it's quite exciting that we've got a, a bank of different players. My only request is that we start Gareth McCleary because at the start of the season, he always seems to absolutely kick off to a flyer, um, mm. always seems to score a couple on the first day or something like that. So as long as he starts, I'll be absolutely fine. 
Um, but look, you know, whatever formation we're looking at, I think we've seen shades of it at Cardiff. As long as the what Matt's trying to do is gelling and everyone kind of it, it works cohesively, yeah, it's it's going to be a good one. Um, I just I hope based on what we saw from Saturday that Potts will start as well because his his passing is something else. I think that we need to get Dale Taylor on the score sheet as quick as possible. Yeah, his confidence up in the blue shirt. Um, like you, I think Gareth McCleary always starts the season well. But I genuinely think we'll, we'll play a revolving 5-3-2 to a 3-5-2. So basically, we'll have wing, wing backs. We won't have just someone will sit at left back or right back. I think Keo will be in the middle with... A and other, basically, because at the moment I couldn't tell you which which centre back he's preferring most. But um, I think we're just going to be adaptable throughout the game for that defending five, attacking five in the midfield. It's interesting, Adam. You you mentioned that Exeter they've they've lost a whole load of players. They've brought in players. Looking at Exeter's fan base, how they've received the signings, obviously. Uh, from from what I've seen anyway, and, and from what some more neutral journalists have put, the, the recruitment has been they've lost some really good players and they've perhaps not brought in players to that same level. Um, there's also talk that Sam Noom or Sam Nom uh, could be leaving before the season starts as well. So that'd be a massive blow to them. Uh, so the, the feeling is that Exeter could be. Um, well, from what I've seen, anyway, they're they're one of the favourites to potentially be battling relegation this season. I always hate saying that before we play a side because I feel like I'm kind of putting a bit of bad luck on it. But what I wanted to say, though, and and this is based on you know everything's really positive at the moment. Everyone is super happy, particularly Wickham Twitter is refreshingly joyous. Um, a lot of young players that we've brought in, and do you? <sighs> I mean, from my experience, when teams have historically signed a lot of players, it can take a lot longer than people want for things to really gel. Do we need to bear that in mind going into Saturday? Absolutely, 100%. We could not be, we might take four or five games to gel and get right. But to be honest with you, if you look at the first five games we've got and where those teams were last season, we've got a good break to try and do that and get it right um to be fair i mean we've got burton there they've run a absolute resurgence they've made some cracking signings um they seem to be set up really well and i think they might be what shrewsby were last year um potentially challenging up around there um but we've we've you know i think as much as we're all excited uh, excited right now i think we've got to be realistic in allowing everyone to gel. I think the biggest problem for Exeter perhaps wasn't the players that they brought in, but the players that left. I think they started the summer in a real, real, real negative spiral with a lot of good players leaving. And I think when you when you look at some of the players that they've brought in, they should all be capable of performing at that level. Um, and it's just how you get them playing together. It's exactly the same with us and a number of other sides who have, who have had a big clear out and brought other to, uh, other players in. Yeah, we're excited. We're positive. The honest truth is that there's another 23 teams in this division who's going to be excited and going to be positive. And, um, you know, some of them haven't made nine changes. Some of them haven't got an inexperienced manager. Um, you know, some of those teams are still getting 20,000 people despite the fact they're uh, they're playing in League One. So, 
because we've had a good window doesn't mean that we're going to storm this division and be promoted by Christmas and everybody's going to be on HMS Piss the League by January. It, 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 it for me, is going, going to be a work in progress throughout the season. Um, I think all we can ask is for improvement every game. Um, and we have a squad of players who I think are all going to want to give 100% and have got something to prove. Uh, I think of the players who left last year, although a lot of us were disappointed to see some of them go, I don't think there was a huge amount of surprises in there. Um, and I think there was a lot of positivity around keeping the likes of votes, Scowan, Striek, etc. Um, but but we have to be realistic. You know, this is chucking 11 blokes together who, who haven't played many minutes together. Personally, I think we're going into the season a little bit undercooked. I don't think we've had enough... 90-minute pre-season friendlies. There was a couple of sort of half an hour each way games. Um, I don't think we've had enough proper pre-season minutes. So I think we're going in slightly undercooked, and I think that might catch us out in the first two or three games, but we've got to stick with it. Um, the the changes are positive. You know, we've all said for a long, long time, the style of football doesn't attract big numbers of people going to watch us. Matt is trying to address that and trying to change the way that we play, but it ain't going to happen overnight. We brought the players in, um, just give them a chance to to learn to play with each other. What we've got to remember is, whilst we've recruited quite a few players, and the gelling is very important, they're coming at staggered times, so they haven't all been training the same way all the way through pre-season. They also haven't all played in, we've had some behind-closed-doors games and things like that, but they haven't all played in them. The first time they're really all going to play together is Saturday. And that basically means that, I mean, there'll be the, the odd idiot who, if we don't blow extra away, is going to claim relegations on its way and things like that. You don't understand the fact that we need to gel. But most informed Wiccan fans will look at it and go, yeah, we're work in progress, but I, genu- I think it'll come. I think it'll come. Ahead of the game, predictions for Exeter on Saturday. What are we going? 2-2 for me. 2-2. Um, exciting game. Probably a wet pitch. Good football. I think uh, I think we'll walk away with a point. I'm going to go 2-1 Wickham and it's going to be the first time that we're going to win a competitive game under Matt Bloomfield on a Saturday. Oh, yes. I'm going 3-2. All out attack from both teams. Uh, I'm going to go 2-1 Wickham as well. Point on the board, hopefully. And uh, yeah, we are very much a work in progress. And that is going to be a be a season-wide thing. We've got a lot of young, inexperienced players that are going to be getting some absolute vital minutes in. Um, want to quickly talk about our overall season predictions. Uh, you know, these things are wild. 46 games, 10 months, a lot can happen in a season. We saw it last year. Uh, you know, the whole dynamic of the club changed so dramatically in the space of a couple of weeks and really changed our expectations of what we were expecting to achieve last season. Um, looking at it, most odds makers don't fancy us. I mean, nothing new there, really. Although I would say that I was perhaps a tad bit disappointed given uh, our performances over recent seasons, being a championship club only a few seasons ago. Um, does that come as a surprise to you? And I guess the most important question, guys, is what do you? how do you think the season's going to pan out? Where do you expect us to be finishing? The odds uh, don't surprise me, uh, especially with the end of the season we had when we tailed off last season. But people don't look at how we've 
recruited and they don't look at what we're trying to do and trying to change the way of playing. Um, it's always disappointing to see those odds, but also we like being the underdogs. So, you know, we're better at that. I would be very disappointed if we're not in the top 10. Um, but I genuinely think a playoff push is something that we can achieve depending on how quickly our, our players gel, like we just discussed. I think you've got to look at how well the other teams have recruited as well against that. If you had to sit and put every, list everyone from 1 to 24, you know, I think Derby should be up there, Charlton will be up there this season. Um, there are a lot of teams that look good. Um, you know, even Blackpool might, you know, they seem to retain some core of their team, so they they might challenge as well. They, they weren't too bad in the championship last season, now and again. Um, but, you know, I think we know we know where we are. We've always been deemed this way. We've always deemed to be the underdogs, the tag suits us, so let's just crack on with it. I completely agree with Damer. I think we, you know, if the players gel, yeah, playoff push, absolutely. Um, I feel that we potentially might mirror, you know, in terms of Plymouth last year, in terms of the structure where we brought in, they brought in a couple of really good players from higher up. They brought in a couple of really good players on a permanent deals and they had a really good season. The difference they had was that Stephen Schumacher had a season or so before that to, to really kind of establish. And that, to be honest, is where I would hope that we would be next season. Mm. Um, I think this season is is one of transition. I, I would be hopeful for a playoff push, but we've we've got to be we've got to give Matt a bit of leeway here. You look at the sides who are above us in the odds, Derby, ex-Premier League team, Bolton, ex-Premier League team, Blackpool, ex-Premier League team, Oxford, massive club, ex-Premier League team, recruited really well, Portsmouth, ex-Premier League team, FA Cup winners, Cheltenham, ex-Premier League team, Barnsley, ex-Premier League team, Peterborough, again, recruited really well, probably bigger club than us, um, you know, who knows how they'll go. Reading, ex-Premier League team, and then comes Wickham. You know, behind us, we've got the likes of Lincoln, who are getting seven, 8,000 a week, bigger crowds than us. Um, I think they're going to have a good season. Uh, you've got Wigan, obviously, points deduction, but again, an ex-Premier League team, a massive, massive club. Although this division isn't, on paper, as difficult as it was last year, there's some huge clubs in this mm-hmm. division still. And we have no divine right to be sitting in the top six at the end of the season. And I I hope, like I touched on earlier, that we can be in and around that top 10 with 10 games left. And if we're in and around it, it gives us a chance. Um, but what we have to remember is we are a small club. Um, and I know that, that our friend Rob hate, hates us saying that, but you only have to look at those teams above us in the odds. Um, their history, their gates, their income, their their spending power, their recruitment ability is much, much bigger than us. And we have to hope that, you know, those lads can give 110% um, and can gel together as quickly as possible and give us a good run. And if, you know, if we finish eighth and we come out and they've all, they can all look in the mirror and say, we've done our best, then, then great. That's good enough for me. Yeah, very much uh, agreed with all of you guys. I, I think transitional season, as you mentioned it, Dan, is is the absolute word. And my expectations are very firmly in check. Excited by what we've seen coming in. Uh, it, it's shaping up uh, to be a, an exciting new era for the club. Full season for Blooms. And uh, yeah, I mean, if we can keep this 
group playing, if we can get behind them with the 1887 initiatives, then uh, I think it's going to be another memorable campaign. Can't wait to get started. And that'll do it for this week. Thanks for joining for another episode of the Heroes of HB12 podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe on Spotify. And if you're loving the podcast, and to be let's be honest, why wouldn't you help us out by leaving us a five-star review? You can follow us on Twitter at Heroes of HP12. You can follow Adam at APCWWFC, Dan at Dan Clark PR, and Damien at Damo1507. A big thanks to this week's guest, Rob Kuhig. You can follow him on Twitter, if you don't already, at RKuhig. We'll be back next week, hopefully, with our first three points on the board. Until then, stay well, and come on, you blues. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.